I am the mother of a boy and I have many men in my life that I love, but none that I love more than Jay. Yet in 2023, men are told that they're not worth that much and women have feminists to advocate for them, but men have, uh, Andrew Tate? No thanks. Men really need someone that they can look up to and learn from. Because Andrew Tate is not the role model that I want my son to emulate. Jay is the role model that I want my son and most men to emulate. But you may not know who he is. Or maybe you're one of our super fans who love him and know him and totally get him. But whether you know him or not, you may not realize that Jay is really seriously the role model that everyone, especially men, need today. So I thought today we would talk to you about men and men's rights and lots of other things about men. So Jay, a lot of people think that men shouldn't have any rights just because they're men. Why do so many people think or act like men don't deserve to have rights? Well, first of all, I'm not 100% sure how many people don't think men should have rights, but assuming you're correct, I imagine it could be a number of reasons. For example, let's say you had a son and a daughter. Oh, I do. And your daughter is loud and feisty and badgering you and needy and wants attention and is a drama queen and is always hassling you. Meanwhile, your son is kind of the opposite. He's silent and chill and just plays video games and does his thing. He does his chores and might not even come to you if he was injured or sick or traumatized. Which of these two children is going to get most of your attention? Probably the one who's coming to me and being needy and asking for it more. And now imagine that eventually the son feels hungry enough to speak up and feels hungrier than usual at the dinner table. And so what's going to happen when the son reaches for an extra fry on the daughter's plate? she's probably going to rip his arm off. Yeah, she's going to do her normal, dramatic, whiny, get her way thing. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And so even though the son clearly has a right to some extra food or some extra fries, and even if he's going about it in the wrong way or aggressively, that's not the main issue here. But in this situation, whose rights are going to get defended and championed and whose rights are going to get stepped on? Probably his... Um, because she's freaking out and making more noise and making a big fuss over the whole thing. And he just wanted to fry. Yeah. And I know it's an oversimplified example and parenting is more complex than that. But by and large, the loud, dramatic, complainy people mm-hmm. get everything they want. They People reward this behavior. Yes. Yeah. And so on a macro scale, society also rewards this behavior. Now, on a macro scale in society, which child are men more like and which child are women more like? On the whole, in general, I know there's exceptions. Yeah, there's always exceptions. But on the whole, men act like the example that you gave of my son and women act like the example of my daughter. Right. I just wanted to add, and my actual children almost fit those exact descriptions. Right. So if my example holds up, which I think it does overall, Mm -hmm. then the government who is parenting the men and women of the city or nation or whatever Mm -hmm. are giving in to the loud, whiny, complainy, squeaky wheels, and they're going to step all over the silent workers. 
Yeah. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's great. I don't think we should be rewarding the loudest voices, but there you have it. You know, in your own life, that's probably how it'll go. Yeah. Even you would end up rewarding the loudest voices, even though the reasonably behaved, overly silent people might deserve more of your attention. And I, I think it's because they are loud in, in in my face or in society's face and, and demanding to be heard versus the ones who are quiet and, and never speak up or say anything. Like you said, I don't know if it's right, but it's normal. I guess. So you could argue that men need to speak up more and then they'll get rights. Uh, so, you know, do do we encourage all men to set up protest groups and support groups and get their lobbyists and get people speaking for them? Should they claim a label and start being dramatic when things don't go their way? Right? Is this what we want? No. Men should just speak up like all these feminists do No. to get their agenda. No. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. Like I said in the beginning, each child is kind of extreme to one extreme. One is speaking up over every little hair out of place and the other is never speaking up. Probably neither of these are great. But regardless, I think it might paint a picture or give some insight as to why men's rights aren't very focused upon. I think what you're saying, and I just wanted to, to be clear, is that because they're quiet about their needs and their wants and their desires, that most of society is kind of ignoring them because they're sitting over there quiet and not saying anything. Like the wallflower at a party. Party's loud going on. The person in the corner, no one's paying attention to because they're quiet and, and not saying anything. Yeah, basically. Right. And maybe they should speak up and be more center of attention. Or maybe we should just be paying more attention to the quiet kids. So if men's rights aren't being talked about that often, maybe that's on us, on society, to sort of show some extra love to the quiet kid. I don't know. That said, it's not the only reason it could be. It could be a combination of reasons. That's just one idea that came to me. Maybe it's a case of men have been too rich for too long. And I don't mean rich in money, mm -hmm. but rich in rights, right? right? It's hard to argue that we didn't have a patriarchy for a long time. And many people argue we still do. But 60s and 70s and stuff, it was the whole nation was pretty much run entirely by men, all the uh, commerce and economics and jobs and everything, men, 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 men. Yeah. And so when people see a group that's been too rich for too long, they usually get upset and they do their best to diminish or reduce that group. They actively try to harm that group's rights. Right. They do it with rich people too. Yes. Like rich men and women and non-binary. If someone's rich for too long or too rich, people actively try to harm them, boycott them, kick their tires, lobby for them to pay like way more taxes than anyone. Yeah. People argue that they should be feeding all the hungry and paying for every poor person that ever existed or something. It's like, where's the rights in this? But whether that approach is reasonable or not is a whole other podcast. My point is oftentimes when one group succeeds for too long, at a time or gains too much power for too long at a time, other people will start becoming very vocal about how terrible that is. And they will intentionally aim to take away any rights those people have. Yeah. Look at Jeff Bezos. 
He's hated because he's rich. Yeah. Now, I don't know if Jeff's had his rights taken away. Oh, no, no, no. I just meant your example of how everybody wants to make him pay. I think he was going to open corporate in Seattle and they hit him with a homeless tax and they wanted him to pay for it. And he was like, no. And they were furious and he ended up leaving Seattle because of it. Yeah, that's a great example. So for any other business, it would be normal to open in whatever city. Yeah. There wouldn't be any kind of weird special treatment or stipulations, but Jeff's rich. So let's stick it to him. Yeah. Jeff's super rich. He doesn't deserve rights. He doesn't deserve the same treatment as everybody else. He already gets enough special treatment. He gets a million special treatment. We should just balance out the scales. Like this is how people think. So again, like I said, whether or not that's okay or not is a whole different podcast. But my point is you asked for reasons why men's rights might get stomped on. It's the same reason people are sort of anti-rich people's rights. Right. They're anti-patriarchal rights, right? Yeah. And they might be doing it out of jealousy. You know, mm-hmm. I don't like that these guys have so much and I'll do anything to stick it to them. Right. Or they might be doing it out of some sense of fairness or justice. Like it's not fair that they've succeeded so long or held so much power and now it's systemic and we need to, we need to take them down a peg for fairness's sake. Mm-hmm. Could be that. Regardless, all of these reasons I've outlined could be why allegedly men's rights have been ignored or downtrodden or put to the side or whatever. Well, As a former feminist, I know that many modern feminists believe that men had power for so long and they believe they still have all the power, which I completely disagree with. And so now I don't know everyone, but my own personal experience talking to feminist women, this is what they think. This is why they think that men shouldn't have any rights because they've ruled the world for like until today, according to them. And so they shouldn't have any more rights. And it goes back to what you were just saying, like, it's not fair. Their time is done. The time of women, blah, blah, blah. And and it's all BS, in my opinion, anyway, regardless of how much money someone has or how much power they have. Every human being deserves to have rights. Every human being deserves to be heard and, and have opinions and thoughts and beliefs of their own. So you also believe this, yes? That everybody should have rights regardless? Nah, screw rights. Do you see what I have to live with? I mean, even murderers get their day in court. They get heard. <laughs> so I believe in human rights, but not the way that most people think. And it would take me an entire hour-long podcast to explain this. Oh, well, that's sounds kind of juicy. I, I'm I'm a we might have to do another podcast episode. Now I really want to know. Now I really want to know. We'll save it for another episode. So I'm going to move on then. So like I said, I speak to a lot of feminists. I see a lot of things out there that's that's going on with modern feminism. And, and one of their favorite buzzwords is toxic masculinity. So I really wanted to talk about that today and ask you, what exactly is toxic masculinity? Toxic masculinity is a fairly new label and most people who are using it pretend it means something bad men have to fix or bad behavior that men do. But really, that's just to push an agenda for the most part because if you've paid attention to society and looked around and interacted with people, you know that there's 
plenty of toxic femininity and bad behaviors coming from women, Mm -hmm. just as there's plenty of toxic masculinity and bad behaviors coming from men. So you don't really need a label for this. We've had it since the beginning. It's called bad behavior, right? right? It's called mistreating others or immaturity Mm -hmm. or whatever. So why do we give it some fancy new label in modern times? Because... The agenda is to put the focus and burden and onus on men to change. And as long as we can keep the focus there, we don't really have to look at any other bad behaviors, do we? Right. We can just stay hyper-focused on toxic masculinity. It's also used to imply that these behaviors are something men choose, and that makes it even worse. They should not choose these behaviors, and they should behave differently. They should act differently. We want them to act differently. But do women get baby fever by choice? Do they get emotional at certain times of the month by choice? Right. Some of women's behaviors are genetic. Mm -hmm. Some of their behaviors are part of their makeup. They're part of who nature made them. They're not choosing these behaviors by choice. Estrogen is choosing their behaviors. This is facts. And unless you're going to magically lower their estrogen count by like a billion percent or something, I don't think these behaviors are going to go away. So we all learn to deal with them. Men have learned, for the most part, to deal with women's mood swings and emotionality throughout the months. We've learned to deal with the fact that they're probably going to want kids and that's going to throw a giant wrench in our neat little lives and we have to adapt. But we don't force them to get surgery or get the therapy or tell them that their behaviors are terrible, bad, and why are you choosing this? How dare you choose to act this way? You should just change for us. We get it. Nature has given you estrogen. You behave differently. And so how much of toxic masculine behaviors are just testosterone behaviors? How many of these toxic masculine behaviors aren't actually by choice? Most people realize that little boys or young boys when they're born and in their childhood, they have more testosterone and they generally have more rambunctious energy and they generally run around and get physical a lot more. And you can try and argue that this is socialized, but it was the same in caveman times before socialization existed. Yes. I'm the mother of a gay boy who is super feminine, yet he was super hyperactive, uh, super uh, physical. Everything you just described as a, as a young baby, he was like that from, from birth almost. So yeah. Right. So if a man feels put upon by the world or society or his emotional needs aren't being met and he acts out physically because this is his natural inclination, his testosterone inclination is to express this somehow physically, whether it's punching a pillow or punching a nearby person. Sure, it might be unpleasant and we don't like any of this, but how much of it is really by choice? And I'm a fairly disciplined person. And when I get angry, I I can generally control myself and make sure I don't express over physically. But some physical expression generally needs to happen. Yeah, I'm not sure that's by choice. That's like baby fever or time of the month stuff. Like I don't really have a choice as far as I'm concerned. I mean, I, I technically have a choice, but the giant amounts of testosterone and the massive amounts of stress that are being put upon me are dictating like do some masculine expression to deal with this energy overload. I mean, you're a super gentle person and I've seen you angry and seen you express it physically. And, and I don't mean like with your fist, I mean, just like longer strides, more movement, more like yelling or, or more strain in your, you know, in your face, you know. 
So it, it's a, it's different for me as as a female, but I understand that, and it makes total sense as a man if you need to be physical when you have that adrenaline coursing through your body mixed with your testosterone. Exactly. But society wants me to call that toxic masculinity. They want me to act like a woman. They want me to handle all my issues in a feminine way. They Mm. will say that my tendency towards physicality or towards bold action is a bad thing and I need to repress it and suppress it and change it and act differently. But when a woman wants to cry her heart out over some thing that went wrong, I'm not like, your crying is terrible and how dare you and why are you acting this way? And that's not how we deal with problems and whatever. I'm like, all right, you got to cry it out. You got to cry it out. Like, And both genders can have an extreme or radical expression of their masculinity or femininity. And those extremes and those radicalities may be something to correct, right? right? Maybe I don't need to punch someone in the face every single time. Maybe I can pull back that extreme and just hit a pillow. But having me not handle it in any masculine way at all seems weird. Well, yeah, if it's your na- if it's your nature. Right. And maybe for women, like crying at the drop of a hat and reacting emotionally every single time till the end of time is a bit much. And so maybe they could pull it back and take a breath, correct their emotions, think logically once or twice. But insisting that they behave like men every time something goes wrong in their life and calling it toxic femininity also seems weird. Well, yeah. Right. So my point is toxic masculinity is used to imply that men are choosing unacceptable behaviors and they need to change. Yeah. But maybe that's not the case at all. Maybe men are choosing reasonably acceptable behaviors under the circumstances and at the most they need to pull it back a little bit. But what really needs to change is people not accepting masculine expression in the world. Yeah. I completely agree. And I've studied a lot about the genders and what drives men and women, our nature of who we are, that's in our DNA. And when I hear this word, this buzzword, toxic masculinity, it feels like, like you said, they're trying to make it sound like being masculine is a bad thing. But if we don't have masculinity, we can't have femininity, or everyone's going to be feminine, or everyone's going to be masculine, and we need this balance in the world. And I personally enjoy watching a man be a man. I don't I don't mean when you're angry or when you're upset or anything, but there have been a couple times in our relationship where you're super passionate and you're moving around and we're not fighting or anything. And and that like natural feminine part of me is like, damn, that was hot. That was hot. So to me, like this, this buzzword, like you said, is just a way to, to make masculine people, male or female, just masculine people feel bad about who they are naturally. And it makes others, I know not you, but others maybe want to suppress that and not ever be called or seen as toxic masculine ever, but yeah, I, I just, I totally disagree with, with this buzzword and I wish it would go away because it makes masculine people feel really bad. Yeah. Nature creates gendered species for a reason. There's plenty of them mm-hmm. and they exist quite well. Nature knows that some genders are going to be more violent physically and that other genders are going to be more sensitive to energy or to protecting children or to family units or bonding or whatever. You can go explore. Go explore the animal kingdom and look at the differences in genders. They're not all identical, but they all exist and nature never tries to f*** with them. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And even 
even in nature, the the ones where the male does feminine things, then the female will do the masculine of the opposite because this is how it's meant to be. And so your example of like women wanting to have babies, I'm a woman who has had her babies. I'm not, I'm like pretty much done. But when I see a cute little fat baby, man, it, it makes me want more. So like, I can't help that. It's, it's yeah. part and, of who I am. And when I see a cute little fat baby, I think, huh, cute little fat baby back to work. <laughs> I'm cool with it. That's how work gets done. Yeah, I know, but this is the difference. This is how we're supposed to be. So whatever you be, you let other people be them. You don't need to label anything and bad behavior is bad behavior, whoever it's coming from. Agreed. Agreed. Because feminine people can't say, oh, you're you're toxic, but I'm perfect. Because that in and of itself, that right there, putting that label on someone else is bad behavior. Yeah, that's one of the worst behaviors, actually, if yeah. I was going to put them on a scale. Yeah. As usual, you always give amazing insight and perspective. And also, I'd like for anyone who's watching or listening to let us know in the comments what you think about toxic masculinity. I'd love to know your opinions on this. So like I said before, I spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people online and and learning about people. And one of the things I noticed in my research, and actually in my day to day, is how cis straight white men are treated like the enemy. So why is this? I don't know for sure, but I'd like to point out something pretty interesting, which is if you take any defensive person or any group of defensive people who feel unsafe or feel insecure or feel defensive, justified or not, they will quickly manufacture an enemy to blame and focus on and solve. But because their own defensiveness is present or their own insecurity or their own lack of safety in themselves is an internal presence, even if they were to wipe out that entire enemy in the next day, the next week, there would be a new enemy that they could blame for their feeling defensive. There are many groups of people who are feeling defensive in society today. Mm-hmm. And they are the manufacturers of enemies. Like you could wipe out all men tomorrow and the remaining women would find a new enemy because they'd still feel insecure. They'd still feel defensive. They haven't worked on themselves at all. The enemy is gone and they're just onto new things. Feminism has won most every battle they've been working on since the 60s or whatever. Yes. And now they have a a bunch of new causes, way more enemies. They have more causes than ever before. They have. And we talked about this in our our feminist episode. We did talk about it in our feminist episode. Um, And it's true. Like they they got all what they want. They wanted to right to vote, to own land, to be their own person, equal pay. They wanted all these things. They got it. And, and now they have to find a new enemy. So this totally makes sense. Yeah. Now they're going to champion people of color or they're going to tra- champion trans or they're going to champion LGBT or whatever. And once those are taken care of, they're going to find a new enemy. They will go to their grave manufacturing enemies. But there are other people in the world who are just live and let live. They don't have enemies. They're just like, okay, people are different. You guys are weird. I don't really agree with that, but I'm going to be over here. Yeah. Yeah. And because they have no inner defensiveness and they don't feel insecure in themselves, they don't manufacture enemies. And they could be living in the same city under the same laws and the same situation and same circumstances. And one group is manufacturing enemies left and right. And the other group's just like, "Mm, it is what it is. I guess I got a deal and I'm going to adapt. I'm not sure if I should bring this up, but 
most of the Nazis were kind of like normal people. Aside from like a few of the higher ups who got really passionate and intense and so mm-hmm. on, most of them were just jobbers, nine to five jobbers. If you imagine the nation of Germany and the Nazi party, it wasn't all made up of completely evil, inhumane monsters. Uh, no, they were following orders. They were doing their job. Yeah, they weren't actual enemies. And then they would treat the Jewish people as enemies too. But those people weren't enemies either. They weren't taking all their food or jobs or doing whatever people were saying. Just someone higher up felt insecure and defensive and the vibe of the leader falls to everybody else and gets passed on. And so now the whole party is feeling insecure and defensive and the rhetoric is insecure and defensive and they're manufacturing an enemy. And so they manufacture Jewish people as enemies and everyone else manufactures the Nazis as enemies. But really, they're all just people, for the most part, doing their best to get by and they're getting confused. And it would be easy to solve if we could stop seeing everyone as enemies and, and sort of make some, some headway. Shareability did some little sketch, I think for Heineken, where they brought people with opposing views who considered each other enemies, and then they filmed them speaking their rhetoric about how much they hate the other side anonymously. And then they anonymously put them together in a bar over a beer or over a Heineken and had them chat. And they were allowed to get up and leave when they discovered they were talking to the enemy or they were allowed to stay and talk it out mm-hmm. and enjoy the, the beverage. Every single one stayed. They didn't cherry pick, oh, you know, to make a good video, let's pick all the people who got together. A hundred percent of people stayed to talk it out. Right. And they all ended up seeing like the other side in a different light and they stopped considering each other enemies and they had a beer and they had a chat and they made a new friend. And even if they didn't agree, they agreed to disagree and there was no enemy vibe happening. But before that segment, they all saw each other as enemies. They did. And I I believe part of that too was they connected over something they didn't know what it was about and then they connected over something and and then this allowed them to not care about whatever the issue was yeah my point is i don't know why straight white men are seen as the enemy could be a million reasons like the first question you asked me but i also don't think it matters that much because no group of people on earth are really the enemy agreed and it's seeing them as the enemy that prevents all possible forms of healing or progress or benefit coming. Right. Yesterday, actually, I watched a short on YouTube where this guy is interviewing people on the street. And I don't remember the question. And the girl assumes that what, what he is, who he is. And she says, well, as a cis straight white man. And dude's like, well... I'm Arab and I'm gay. And she was completely shut down like, oh, <laughs> she didn't know what else to say. And then was backpedaling and everything. But but the point is she just automatically, like you said, put that enemy label on him because all he did was ask a question. And so this makes so much sense to me. And for all you cis straight white men that are watching, we hear you, we love you, and you are not our enemy. So hopefully people can eventually stop hating on them. But from what you what you said just now, all that stuff kind of don't have any hope because even if people stop hating cis straight white men, they're going to find someone else or some other group to target their hate towards. Yeah. But like I said, 
there's plenty of people who don't feel insecure in themselves or defensive and they're not constantly looking for a villain and they just live and let live and they're yeah. they're out there there are plenty of them you can go chill with them it's just you won't find them on the loud hashtags and memes and right well actually uh i have to confess that I did this actually. So we know someone, someone from your past, well, both kind of, who I'm not very fond of. And even after like, you guys went your separate ways and like there was no contact, I continued to see her as my enemy for the longest time because it felt weird not to have someone that I disliked or someone that I was like an enemy. It felt weird to me. Uh, I was no longer a feminist, so I didn't have men take. I took responsibility for my body, so I didn't hate skinny people anymore. I, you know, took a lot of responsibility in my life. And so this felt odd to me. And so I made this person who technically had never done me wrong or really anything to me. She was living her life. I don't really agree with her choices, but that has nothing to do with me. And yet I hated this person because I needed an enemy. And once I let go of that and I started to love myself and, and question all the things I was doing with my own life and, and really working on myself, like all of that went away. Like now it's a joke to me when I think about how much I made that person my enemy who didn't even know or really do anything to me. It was so ridiculous. And I think that the people who do the same now towards anybody, whether it's straight white men or not, they would realize that they're just wasting their time. And it's, oh, what's that saying? You, it's hating someone and, or you taking the poison and expecting them to die. It's kind of the same thing. It's, it's pointless. So. Thank you for helping me with that. And so that I no longer feel that way about that person. And I send her lots of love. And I hope that she's happy. And I want only the best for her genuinely. Okay, so I'm gonna move on. Thank you. So statistics show that more men than women commit suicide by a significant amount. Yeah. So I was wondering if if you think the reason for this is because like the last question, is it because they're treated poorly? Men are treated so poorly now? A lot of these things have more than one reason contributing to them. And I'm not sure if men have always throughout time had a higher suicide rate than women. I imagine they have. And I'm not sure if it's particularly high now, higher than ever now, or where you're getting these stats, but it seems reasonable. Mm. And it could be that the system has slowly but surely become set up against them it could be that with women changing so much, it leaves very little place for men or they're not sure how to contribute to society anymore if women make the same amount and do all the same things. It might be they've just been socialized to lean towards suicide from generation after generation. Could be all these different things. I'm sure some scientists will run some studies somewhere, but it's pretty difficult to find a fulfilled person of any gender who will commit suicide. So ultimately, lack of fulfillment seems to be a major player here. If you're feeling depressed or down or worthless or useless, I'm pretty sure that's when suicide seems most appealing. In fact, someone did a study of the last words of male life enders, and the two most common words that turned up in their last statements were worthless and useless. So it seems extremely unlikely that a man would wake up one day and suddenly feel worthless and useless. I believe that's a situation that would be arrived at gradually over time, 
and a person would likely only pull the trigger once they felt useless and worthless for a while. And so if all these men are feeling worthless and useless, is it all on them or could it be how people are treating them? Is it possible we are not treating men that well? Or are we just treating them perfectly, wonderfully, taking care of them, looking out for them, treating them well, respecting them, admiring them, looking up to them, nurturing them and fostering their growth and promoting their goodness? Is that what everyone's doing? Because if we are, and they're still feeling worthless and useless, it's probably just on them. But if we're not, and we're actually contributing to men feeling worthless and useless, then yeah, I could see that playing a major part in why men choose to end their life. That said, what do feminine-leaning people do when they're feeling worthless, useless, or unfulfilled in some way? Disconnected, alone, whatever the equivalent is for the other side. Since they don't commit suicide as often, what do they do? We mostly cry and talk about it or complain about it. Yeah. So generally, I believe rather than ending their own life, They instead do their best to pull other people into their emotional storm or their despair. They do their best to get other people involved and commiserating and feeding their emotional void. Yeah, misery loves company. Yeah, masculine people who feel worthless, useless, or unfulfilled are more likely to just end their life, not be a burden to anyone, and just leave the earth. Feminine-leaning people, when they feel disconnected, alone, or unfulfilled, are more likely to siphon energy from others to fill an emotional void. I don't think either is great for the earth, uh, but one will last for a lot longer. It's true. Anyway, all this stuff aside, again, I feel it doesn't really matter so much, right? What does all that matter compared to the simple fact that if we have unfulfilled human beings of any size, shape, gender, creed, whatever, and they felt this unfulfilled for long enough that they're considering either ending their life or siphoning everyone else's energy to fill an emotional void. This is something society and humanity really should be addressing. And it's important we do all we can to uplift these people, whether small steps or big. And I guess knowing why or understanding why might possibly help with that, but I really don't think it's necessary to help someone feel more fulfilled. I feel like we can do this naturally by instinct. I know there was a point in your life you felt like that. So you understand. And and I did too, which is why when you said it, I started to cry because I know that feeling. I know. I know. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say what you just said. And this is one of the reasons why I love you so much. And you always have a different perspective to, to give me and everyone listening to. On, on all these topics that are, are really sensitive to some people and, and maybe triggering to others. So thank you. So yeah, like if you're listening and you felt like this before, Jay would be an amazing person to talk to about this because he's been there. He's in, if you know anything about his story, he's been suicidal in his past and he was able to lift himself out of that and uh, out of homelessness as well. And, and he's an amazing person, coach, friend, teacher. I mean, I'm sure if you're listening, you can already tell that one hour of this podcast is worth a hundred hours of a regular education or therapy. So I just want to put that out there. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Because uh, there were many times in my life that I felt the same way and I have 
attempted to end my own life. And with meeting you, you have taught me how to deal with, with feelings like that and things, tactics and, and actions and ways to, to never get that low in my life again. So, and recently I had a, something very intense and painful happen and I didn't even get close to that feeling be, because of, of you, because of what you taught me and how you taught me to be better and love myself and I'm valuable and worthy and all those things, all those lessons that you gave me, <laughs> I, I lean on them super heavily when in, the, in those moments. So thank you. Yay. So many women complain that men don't express their feelings, don't cry, and can't talk about themselves very much. Yet, when they do, they don't like this. They complain, maybe not to, to their partner or the, the men in their life, but they complain about it and they look at their partner as weak and, and or act like they don't care. So are women lying when they say they want a man who expresses and cries? That's a good question. Let's go micro personal experience for a second because you're a woman. And in my observation, you have done that countless times, like an insane amount of times. So for example, you would swear you wanted a diet of meat. Like I want to avoid vegetables. I want to eat junk food and fast food and Reese's mm -hmm. pieces and whatever. And when you told me that a week later, you were eating vegetables. Yeah. I'm like, you literally just lied to my face. Another example, you claimed you wanted to sell our book, make money, have a successful business. Mm -hmm. And given every chance, opportunity, resource, help, lesson, anything someone could give, you, you then went on to give up on four separate businesses just when they were getting their first clients, like when they finally started working. Mm -hmm. yeah. You would spend months to finally get something clicking. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you got one or two, gone. Couldn't imagine a bigger lie. Like you're playing with people's lives and careers and years of economy and stuff. But there it was. So it looked like you said you wanted one thing and actually did not want that thing. Then you claimed you wanted a certain kind of partner. And it was a tall order, a partner that most people wouldn't even ask for, let alone get. Right. And you got that partner, possibly better than you imagined. And then you pushed that partner away with drama and neuroses and issues and so on, eventually just kicking that partner out of the house, even though they were exactly what you said you wanted. And so what I see is a woman who says she wants ABC, gets ABC, and then turns around and acts like she wanted XYZ the entire time. Mm -hmm. And so it's very bewildering because most men I deal with wouldn't do this. What? So my question to you is, why do you think women do this? Or why did you do this in all those cases? I changed my mind. Oh, so then I guess all that stuff is totally fine then. We should all be doing similar. <laughs> no, I didn't say it was right. You asked me a question and that's the answer. But, I changed my mind. But what's the difference between changing your mind and a bold-faced lie? Because you, you tricked people around you. No, I didn't trick them. I tricked myself and I thought that's what I wanted. And I did. And then I changed my mind. And then I changed again. And I wasn't committed. I didn't commit myself to what I wanted. Sure. But the result is people are buying you freezers full of meat and then you're not eating them. People are giving you businesses, years of their lives, investing in your career and you're making them waste it. And people are 
being the best partner they can be just for you to throw them out on their ass because you changed your mind. Like, how is this different than a lie? If another person did these exact three things to you, would you not be telling your girlfriends that they were a damn liar? Of course. Of course. I'm not saying that I I wasn't lying. So we have to be clear because in your question, you painted a picture of women saying one thing and then actually wanting the other. Yes. And so in that case, their communication to the outside world is directly opposite of what they truly want inside. Mm. So they have a track record of crying wolf, of lying, of misrepresenting the truth, of saying the exact opposite of what they truly want or are aiming for. And now the whole world around them gets roped in like a scam artist or like a confidence trickster. So for me, I can't speak for anyone else. For me, I think... I just was unclear with myself. And even though it was technically a lie, what I said, it wasn't really what I wanted. And uh, being unsure and flip-flopping and changing my mind and not making an actual decision or commitment caused me to say one thing and then change my mind and go back and forth. And, 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 and this was totally wrong. And this was n- not great for myself, for my own. And, and, Cause then I end up questioning what's wrong with me. I'm a horrible person feeling guilty about all the stuff that I said and that I did. Yeah. I mean, there's no defense for it. That's, I wasn't clear with myself what I wanted. Sure. So maybe all these women you're talking about are also unsure and unclear and indecisive. But if they're unclear and unsure and indecisive, does it make sense for them to use clear and decisive language? Is that not heavily deceptive? Because when I'm unsure and unclear and indecisive, do you know what I say to people? Yeah, I do. Because I've heard you. You say you're unclear, you're unsure, and you're indecisive. And I did not. Not only do you not, but... I bet if you did a study or took a survey, most women do exactly what you did in so many circumstances. They say they want one job when they really don't. They say they want one raise when they really want to quit. They say they want this partner when they really want that partner. They are unsure and indecisive and unclear, but they use the most clear, most decisive, most sure language, which to me is a giant walking, living lie, because you are communicating to the outside world the exact opposite of what you are inside. And this could be an interesting, rarely talked about difference between masculine testosterone driven people and feminine estrogen driven people, because it's fairly difficult for me to believe that I would find similar behavior in high testosterone masculine people. They seem much more likely to be logical and precise and accurate with their language, to say what they mean and do what they say and keep their word. And maybe if you showed me some like namby-pamby, low-T man, then you might find this unsure, uncertain, indecisive feelings being masked by the most certain sure language ever. You might find the liar, Mm -hmm. the mind changer. And so that's fine if that's a difference between men and women or a difference between testosterone and estrogen. Mm -hmm. But then you can't really fault someone from being like, well, women are liars and they never know what they mean and they never speak straight, right? No, I don't. I I can't blame anybody for saying that when the majority of masculine people in my life, and again, this is my experience only, generally, not always, but generally stick to their word and and do what they say they're going to do. 
And the ones that don't are more feminine leaning people that I know. And it feels shitty to say that I was a liar and I lied. And, and sitting here now, I don't know for real if that will never happen again. I don't mean with the topics, those topics. I just mean in general. Maybe I want a salad and I go sit down and, and have lunch and I decide I want a steak. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. And it feels really shitty right now to not know that. Well, I don't think you need to feel too bad about it. It's more about assessing and admitting strengths. For example, I know that as a guy, I'm with hopefully reasonable testosterone levels that I'm much more likely to off myself. That doesn't sound like a great treat. I'm not super happy to celebrate that, but I can admit the truth. And by doing that, I'm empowered. It's like, okay, I know that I'm at risk for this. And if that comes around, maybe I should handle it a different way or catch myself when that happens and see if I can curb this issue because it's not a beneficial trait that I, I super love. Right. But it, it is a trait though. It does exist. I don't need to feel shitty about it. I just need to be aware of it. Or I know that I'm very likely to express my anger physically or to deal with stressful situations in a physical way. I'm not super thrilled about that. I'm not doing cartwheels. It doesn't make my gender look amazing or it doesn't make me super happy with myself. Oh, great. That's fantastic. <laughs> and so I can admit it and I'm aware of it. This weakness or this less preferred trait of me and that's fine right. and I can do my best to be disciplined when I feel those urges to anger and I can pull it back a little bit and I can navigate it and adapt to it and it might be fine if my time on earth is never to be some like nurturing feminine soul who deals with everything perfectly emotionally and I just cry it out every time but I'm not aiming for that I'm happy with who I am and I'm fine with the weaknesses and I don't feel bad about them I just adjust, embrace, navigate, adapt. It's okay. I, I just love to see more women doing this. Like it's okay that you have these tendencies. It's okay that you're a mind changer who's unsure often and indecisive often. And it's even okay that you tend to lie about it and pretend like you're sure and trick everybody. But if, it, if I was in your shoes, I would just admit and accept this fact. Okay, I do that all the time. That's clearly an issue. It's not my favorite trait. It kind of hurts other people. I'm going to practice. I'm going to see if I can handle that. I'm going to do better. I'm going to set a little watch or timer or some metronome to catch myself. I'm going to practice. And if I screw it up, I'm going to do better next time. And I'm going to apologize because I know this is part of me. I wasn't born a man and I don't have that incredible precise language or certainty or decisiveness. And that's fine. I'll work on it or I'll ask for help from someone. For me, like I could ask you, I'm feeling super angry right now. I want to punch somebody. How would you handle this situation with this client or boss or stranger or whatever? I can get a woman's input, a feminine take on things, but only if I know this part of myself and I admit that it's not super great. If I pretend like I'm amazing and everything is fine and I don't have this trait and it's someone else's fault, then I'm never going to come to, to you for help. Yeah. Right. That's true. Right. So I'm glad you asked this question and I'm glad you were able to discuss something at the root of the answer. And I hope you don't feel bad about it because awareness and self-knowledge should never make you feel bad. It should make you feel empowered. It's ridiculous to feel bad about who we are as people. I feel, I feel bad that I've made other people feel bad with my lies and, and with my uncertainty and my indecisiveness. I've come a long way with making decisions from 
the person I used to be and and same with with the other things as well but clearly I still I still need to work on this I mean even as recently as two months ago I I was still undecisive and, and I made a major life change that I regretted instantly and and it was a lie I lied to myself I lied to you and everyone else around me too what I wanted and then I changed my mind But while it was happening, you could have just admitted, I'm unsure, I'm indecisive, I'm not really clear on my feelings or how I want to proceed. Can I please talk it out with you, you very confident, certain helper? I know. Because I would have helped you get clear. I know you would have. But it only works if you admit that you're unsure and you don't talk in certain language Mm -hmm. and pretend like you know exactly what you want, which which is what I I believe most of these women in your question are doing. They're pretending, I want a man who does everything I say and is submissive to me and whatever. And then they get one and they're like, this turns me off so hard. And it's like, this is not rocket science. You could have gotten clear on on your shit beforehand. You didn't have to rope someone into a two-year relationship before you figured out what turns you on and turns you off. Read a little panel, read some romance novels, and you'll know exactly what turns you on and off. Yeah, and for you girls out there who are watching or listening, who think you want a submissive man, you don't. <laughs> I mean, well, everybody's I don't want to assume, uh, like, I, it was more of a joke, really. But I spent, I, I thought I wanted that for a long time. And I had that. I, I had somebody who did whatever I said, gave me whatever I wanted. And, like, money wasn't an issue. I could do whatever. And I was unhappy. Not until I left that relationship was I happy. And so, yeah, I get it. And so just to be clear, because we said a lot of stuff while answering this question, women say say a lot of shit that they want but they're lying basically for the most part well like you said (laughs) lying sounds bad so they're unclear and indecisive when they say it and they're very likely to change their mind possibly to the exact opposite thing very shortly and they communicate this in extremely certain terms as if they know exactly what they want and by doing that they end up tricking everybody and it, it basically just looks like a giant lie so call it what you want It's not great behavior and it's not a great trait. It causes a lot of problems and pain for others. You may want to practice more self-awareness about this. The same way that I might want to practice more self-awareness when I'm feeling the urge to express myself physically. It's not a great trait. It can easily get out of hand. And so it's worth keeping an eye on. Okay. Seems fair. Yeah, it does. I'm your best student and I have a long ways to go to, man. So I'm I'm glad that you brought it up and and thanks for only uh, mentioning three things. <laughs> and I want to help people anyway. And I have no problem being vulnerable and sharing these things. Sure. And you know, world. a lot of feminine people do this, yes. yourself included, yes. probably your friends, your girlfriends, your yes. daughters, your aunts, your moms, your whatevers. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm going to move on. Um, in Hollywood, I noticed that men like The Rock and Arnold Schwarzenegger and these big, bulky, beefy men who were the norm for the the love interest in a movie have been replaced by men like Harry Styles and Timothy Chalamet. Very feminine looking men. And so I was wondering, are women really attracted to feminine men? Well, disclaimer, everyone's an individual and there's all sorts of people. (laughs) But if you're talking about trends, I'm not sure if Hollywood's a good go-to. Hollywood is a bunch of big studios who want to make money. And 
there's and the content they put out is geared to make money. They have like scientists and researchers and market research and data, and they are measuring and tracking every click and ticket purchase. And they are doing everything they can to reach the broadest audience possible. And so if feminine men sell more tickets and get more streams and get more clicks, then that's what they're going to do. If burly masculine men get more clicks and get more streams and sell more tickets, that's what they're going to do. And for them, they're just measuring what people like to see on screen. Hollywood isn't some measure of dating or attraction or what people are into in their personal romantic lives. Mm -hmm. Hollywood is into what people like to see on screen. Right. If you were to look at dating books, though, pickup artists, they care about what women are attracted to and what gets them into relationships or into bed or whatever. And so if you look at dating books, are they portraying a bunch of Timothy Chalamet, Harry Styles people? Or are they portraying more masculine alpha men types, right? Because for them, if the books don't help their customers get women and become attractive to women, they don't make money. So whenever you're trying to measure something or get a gauge of something by an industry or by how an industry is behaving or by how an industry is performing, it's important you make sure that that industry financially cares about the thing that you're looking for. Right. If I want to know more about what women are attracted to and dating habits, I'd be much better to look at pickup books or romance novels even or romance novels even than Hollywood blockbusters. Okay. On top of that, since businesses are always experimenting and usually trying to reach the broadest audience, they're always pushing the boundaries. They're always trying to reach more people. And so maybe they've been doing okay financially by putting the burly men in, but now they're committed to experimenting with more feminine appearance in their love interests in the hopes that they can get more. And we don't know if that succeeded or not, right? You won't know until down the road. Right. They might be thinking, well, a more androgynous appearance will appeal to both men and women. And if we put that in the movie, we can get double the clicks from both sides of the population. Does it work? Does it not? I don't know. It's possible that hidden behind this question, and I'm not saying this is about you personally, but in general, people often like a big corporation or a big industry to be responsible for the situations that are occurring in life. Mm -hmm. They want Hollywood to be responsible for our dating habits. They want beer companies to be responsible for our drinking habits and so on. But the truth is actually the opposite. Those giant companies, they started by one person, one man, one woman with a dream aiming to help people. And they grew into big companies and corporations and then into multiple corporations and into industries. But right from the beginning and all the way till now, they are only motivated by money. Money that comes from your wallet, comes from all the little people's wallets. And all the little people, the meek, the masses, hold the power and they throw it away or give it away to these giant corporations. And the corporations will do anything. You can see it in the news feeds and social media. They'll say one thing one week and they'll switch the next. They'll be pro-trans one week and then they'll ditch it the next yeah. because the prophets spoke. They'll be all into NFTs for six months and then never touch NFTs again because after that six months, they looked at their uh, profit and loss and they were like, damn, the people are hating this. <laughs> yeah, And they literally do whatever people want. Right. And the ugly truth is what people want is bullshit. They want lies fed to them. They want 
They want fantasies sold to them. They want escapism. They don't want hard truths. They don't want to learn lessons. They don't want to grow in life. They want to be comfortable and lulled. They want bread and circuses and the companies will deliver. Whatever you want, they'll deliver. If there's a new demand, if people suddenly stop wanting lies fed to them, if people suddenly start demanding the truth, and I mean really demanding it, like they leave partners that don't tell them the truth, they get out of schools that won't tell them the truth, they start homeschooling to teach their own truth, they go find other wise truth teachers from back in the day and they stop consuming all the new media, they boycott all modern media and go back to ancient texts and they're searching for the truth. And in every survey and every poll and every online thing and every click, every hashtag, it's all truth, 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 truth. The companies will sell you the truth. Fair play because it'll make money and they'll get those wallets back. And they, the companies don't like being boycotted. They don't like to have people stop buying their stuff. They hate it. They've always hated it. And they will bow to it every single time. But if you look at all the, the people and what they really want, not what they say they want, and then lie about it and then want something different. If you look at where their dollars go, they vote with their dollars and their dollars speak loud and their dollars speak with what they truly want because people invest their dollars in what they truly want, you will see something interesting, which is they want exactly what everyone's providing. They want what Hollywood's providing. They want what YouTube's providing. People eat it up. Yeah, or they wouldn't keep watching. Yeah. They want what Disney's providing. Well yeah. maybe they don't lately, but <laughs> but yeah, I got but you. But see there I you go. You. Disney is going to keep taking a hit quarter after quarter and as their profits drop and drop and their stock goes down and down, they will about face. They will 360 it. They will cut out all the, the woke stuff. They will go back to their roots, whatever it takes to please the fans and get the wallets back. Agreed. And they have no shame. They have no ethics like involved here, no morals. They started as a company trying to sell cartoons and make money. And by God, they're going to end like that. They are not allowing that to stop. Right. They never have and they never will. They are motivated by profit. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. That's actually really hopeful because, you know, spending a lot of time online and, and watching a lot of videos, I see a lot of people complaining about this, about women are being attracted to feminine men. But for me personally, I'm not attracted to, to either. I go the third way with that. <laughs> so uh, a brain is much more important to me than anything. I like, I like smart men. Thank you so much for way deeper answer than I was expecting. So went a totally different way. Every time I think you're going to zig, you zag, which I, I love. <laughs> okay. My real dad really wasn't around a lot when I was growing up. We're great friends, but my stepfather was my father figure. He's an amazing human and I love him so, so much. And I was wondering, are fathers really that important to children when they're growing up? Or is this just something that I kind of fantasized about because my dad wasn't around? I don't know for sure, but my gut says yes. Either way, if you want to know if something's important, what's a good place to start looking? Have you checked out the stats on single mother homes versus single father homes versus dual parent homes? Only single mother homes versus single father homes. And there's way more single mother homes than fa single fathers. Right. But have you checked into deeper stats, such as how likely a child from a single mom is likely to go to prison versus how likely a child from a single dad is likely to go to prison? Or how wealthy a child is likely to become 
from a single mom versus how wealthy a child is likely to become from a single dad or how many kids from single mom homes end up in therapy versus how many kids from single dad homes end up in therapy. I haven't looked at any of these stats, but these are sort of the things you could start looking at to get a feeling of, you know, is this important or not? And even then it's not a guarantee, but it can kind of start to give you some insight or point you in an interesting direction. If I asked you, is flour important for a cake? You might say, I can make a cake without flour. I'm very talented and so on. You don't need flour, yada, yada, yada. But if you look at the stats, the statistics, it would say that on the whole, in general, flour is pretty important for a cake and you're the rare exception. Mm -hmm. And that for the most part, it's an important ingredient we shouldn't nuke it off the planet unless you want to get rid of cake. Well, yeah, there's a lot of flourless cakes out there, but if you want to make a traditional cake, you're going to need that flour. And even then, is there really a lot of flourless cakes or is there like a handful compared to the millions? Oh, no. Okay. Well, and compared to the millions of cakes that yeah. are require flour, then yes, there this, are way more. This is how statistics can sort of give some insight. Okay. Like I said, they're not always right and it's not a guarantee but they can get you pointed in the right direction. And if it turns out all the statistics say kids thrive better when they have a dad around or from a dual parent home or whatever, it's like, hmm, maybe we should be thinking here. Just like the flourless cake, you can find some exceptions. Well, I was from a single mom home and I turned out amazing or whatever, but I don't know if those exceptions are enough to dismiss all the other statistics, right? Fair. It's food for thought is what I'm saying. Okay. And so if you want to know how important fathers are, I would start Googling this stuff. I'm sure the stats are out there. I'm sure there's stuff worth looking into. But again, I don't really feel the need to Google them because from caveman times, I'm pretty sure the dad's been playing a major role in helping raise a thriving, well-adjusted child. So, uh, Well, even using you and I as an example, you grew up with two parents your father was around, your father took a big interest in your life and was the traditional father role in your growing up. And you you had all the things that I always wanted. But I do know that there was something I was desperately missing in my life for a long time. I know that I grew up very lonely and alone and really would have done anything to spend more time with with my father. So uh, based just on, on, on us as an example, to me, I feel like a father is very important in, in a child's life. And I know that when I was a single parent, it was much more difficult for me and my child versus when I, when I was married and we were the, that nuclear family. So I don't have those stats and that data. But my gut also tells me this. Uh, and I, I ask this question because I see a lot of people online making assumptions about other people, male and female, about their parents. I watched a video where a guy was being a simp for a girl and, and saying all this stuff. And in the comments, they were like, oh, he didn't, clearly he didn't have a father. His father, like his father was missing this. And it was a lot of, a lot more comments to that than I really expected. Maybe people instinctually know that missing a father will result in this kind of person, mm-hmm. or maybe they're just talking at their ass. Yeah, like I wasn't sure. And and since we had two completely, totally different childhoods, I, I wanted to know your opinion. And also because I thought perhaps what I know about this is, is biased because growing up so lonely and wanting my father around. Um, 
So yeah, this is this is why I asked that question. So thank you so much. This question actually came to me in a moment of self-doubt uh, about myself. And so I was wondering, do men actually need women? Maybe you've been doom scrolling those red pill videos a bit too much because they're often trying to imply that men don't need women. Or who knows, maybe you've been doom scrolling those feminist videos because they're often implying that women don't need men. But let me just ask you, do roosters need chickens? Do bulls need cows? Yeah, if they want to make babies. Well, the entire species will be wiped out if they don't have this. Not only that, day-to-day tasks for those creatures become extremely difficult. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But in those videos that you you mentioned, the dudes will say, uh, I can hire a maid and I can knock up whoever. And and so they make it sound like they don't really need women. All good. So, yeah, I know. And I'll get to all that. But first, is nature brain dead? I mean, no. So it handled roosters and chickens pretty well. <laughs> yeah. And it handled bulls and cows decently. Yeah. Gave them different statures and sizes and tendencies and behaviors all to balance out and create a wonderful species. Yes. Okay. Do any of the chickens or roosters or bulls or cows try going counter to nature, break their roles, change their gender, behave differently, replace themselves with technology and... No build egg-laying machines so they don't need the chickens anymore? (laughs) No, no. Okay. And is evolution useless? Right. Because these species have evolved over time and thousands and thousands of years gone by, they're still in tip-top form doing the exact same things they've been doing. Right. If anything, they're more practiced at those roles. Right. When they first laid an egg, I don't know if they were so stable here, if they were like great at it or whatever. They probably didn't have quite the level of performance. Yeah, probably. But they've evolved over many years and they've gotten good at laying eggs. Nature made them better. Evolution made them better at what they were built for, what they're designed for, what they're good at, what their natural tendency is. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do we really want to imply that, but for humans, nature fucked up? (laughs) Okay. No. Do we really want to imply that? (laughs) You know what? It's time for us to evolve beyond gender. I think that's the next, the next generation. It's happening right now. We're evolving beyond gender, guys. The 1% of loud voices saying that we don't need men or we don't need women or whatever, they don't have any weird selfish agenda or like personal issues or neuroses. They're just the leading edge of evolution. They've nailed it. We really don't need men and we really don't need women. I'm not sure which side is right, but I'm sure their take that nature's thousands of years of history is time to go and we got to replace it with a single gender or infinite gender race is is the way it's possible it's anything is possible i'm not saying it can't be maybe it is the evolution maybe but if that's the stance you're going to take if you're going to take the stance that we don't need men or we don't need women and screw nature's years of evolution and it's time we go a new way and we're ushering in this new era that's a pretty big claim you're making right yeah it is So I think you really want to be sure of yourself if you're going to claim that we don't need men or we don't need women and off nature. Fair claim. Right? Yeah. Wouldn't catch me making this claim because that is a bold claim reserved for like, I don't know, 
the most brilliant scientists or philosophers or something, someone who can predict the coming trends of nature and evolution, right? Well, yeah, that's true. And you need boobs. I mean, I definitely need boobs. I know. But, but let's say I humor them. Okay. Fine. We can hire a maid to do that stuff and we can get fleshlights and we can build artificial wombs or something. Mm-hmm. And our technology is incredible. And it's like, maybe... And I can dress up like a cow costume and get a machine to manufacture milk and like have fake udders and whatever. I can, I'm a human. I can pretend to be a cow. Right. Great. It's still not better than nature. I'm still not outdoing nature. And it's a giant amount of energy and effort and uh, economic resources used just to pretend to be something I'm not. And nature helped me be born in this gender. So why not just do what I'm naturally good at and fulfill that role? I'll do it super efficiently and super well. After years of evolution, I'll have all the testosterone and chemicals and everything I need to crush it. I'll have the behaviors that help me. I'll have the ambition and the drive and the physicality and the boldness and the confidence. And I'll do masculine things. And I'll be great at it. Or let's go round up all the women and put them in costumes and change their shape and use all the technology and resources so they can pretend to be me. Just like I pretend to be a cow. Like, I agree. It is possible. You are right. We don't need cows, technically. We have the technology. We can synthesize milk from nothing. Like, it takes insane amounts of energy and resources, but we can do it. And if we keep it up, we'll get really efficient at it and it won't take as much money and resources. And now we can all pretend to be cows. <laughs> I can see it now. Right. I got you. Like, this is what they're proposing. Yeah, it is. So fine. I'll humor you. Sounds good. Where do I sign up? <laughs> we don't need women. We can just hire maids or manufacture robot maids and I can pretend to be a woman if I want. We can get computers to play their role. Sounds awesome. Sign me up, man. Whoever's making these videos, fantastic stuff. (laughs) Brilliant approach. You've clearly thought this through. And uh, I I have no argument for it. You're right. You are 100% right. That is doable. And we don't need women. I'm still going to choose them, though. Oh, okay. You're still going to choose them? Yeah. Why would I choose whatever they're offering? It sounds terrible, but doable. But it sounds like a miserable life. And I want something in my life that behaves with sensuality and expressiveness and emotionality and drama and so on. I don't want them to take over my life, but I still want to interact with something like that. And you're telling me we're going to, we don't need women. We're going to program AI to do all that, the sensuality and the expressiveness and the nurturing and so on. We're going to replace that. I mean, give it a shot, I guess. But like I said, it sounds like a lot of time, money and investment for a substandard product. Nature gave me a super sensual, super expressive, super dramatic person. I don't, I don't need, I don't need to pretend to be it myself. I don't need to hire someone to do it. I don't need to invest resources in it. Nature has provided. It's like if you have a, a whole bunch of trees in, in your, on your lot, you've got firewood. Yeah, but we can synthesize firewood though. And we can program a new AI robot to go get our firewood. Dude, pick up an axe. Like, it's all good, man. What are you doing? Like... This is so inefficient and ridiculous. Nature has provided all the things we need. Just let them do their thing. But our society these days is so disconnected from nature. They can't even connect with their natural gender or their natural roles or what they're naturally born to be good at. Like over the years, we've gotten more and more divorced from nature. And even cultures that are in tune with nature, like some indigenous peoples, believe in twin spirits or multi-gender or whatever. It's all fine. I'm not against any of that stuff, but they're not going to turn their whole tribe into that tomorrow. Right. Okay. They let nature decide who are the 
twin spirit people mm-hmm. and everyone else just be as themselves. And hopefully our society can do that too. Let people be whatever they want to be, make no big deal about it. But if they're the 1%, maybe don't rearrange society around them. Like the indigenous people don't rearrange their society around all the twin, twin spirit people. Right. Well, that that was an amazing answer. And I was not expecting that either. So thank you. Thank you. You are an amazing man. And I'm super grateful to know you. I'm grateful to know you. Um. Okay. So I have one last small question that wasn't on the list. What would you tell men today who are feeling like they don't have a place in the world? I would tell them that everything in life we ever experience once started in our imaginations or someone's imagination. And it might not feel powerful to start at the root of the issue because it's imaginary. People don't put a lot of stock in imagination. But if you want to create a better world, one where men do have a place or where you specifically have a place, you absolutely have to start with your imagination. Because if you focus on the system or feminism or society or how things are, how things have been or whatever, you won't get the change you want. You have to imagine the reality that you want to be. You have to be the change. And to be the change means aligning your heart and mind on the same goal. If you see a world where men have a place or you have a place, bit by bit, you have to create it. No one's going to magically come down and hand it to you. It's never worked that way. Nothing in life or society has ever worked that way. And anytime someone did come down and hand you something, it was after you imagined it first. Imagined having it or wishing for it or feeling it or vibing with it. And then someone handed it to you. So yeah, I would imagine my skills being used. I would imagine people coming to me and interacting with me. I would imagine being supported by others. I would imagine people waking up or society waking up. I would imagine small changes to the system or big changes to the system. I would imagine solutions and what I could do next. I would imagine some next steps for me. I would imagine some small ways that here and now I could feel useful and worthwhile and loved and a place for me. I would start celebrating and being thankful for any time I was able to find even a hint of a place. If I washed the dishes for someone and they said thank you, I would be hanging on to that and building on that. That's a grain of sand that I can nurture. I'm so happy I was I was helpful to this person and they enjoyed interacting with me, enjoyed having me around. I'm going to look for more places to do that. I sent an email to someone and they said it was the best email they ever read or they thanked me for it or it brightened their day. You know what? That's another grain of sand. And I am so thrilled that I did this. And I would keep looking for those because I don't know if you studied the reticular activating system or the focus placebo, but what you focus on, you get more of. So it might seem dark or dire or grim for men right now, but I'm telling you, if you use your focus and imagination properly and well and effectively, you will get more awesomeness. Hope that helps. That was great. Thank you. So maybe now you can see why I started in the beginning of this episode saying that this is the role model that men need. I mean, this is the role model everyone needs to be honest with you, but especially men. And I am so honored and grateful. And I feel so blessed that uh, the universe brought you into my life because I get this goodness constantly 24 seven, basically when I, when I need it. So thank you. And I get great questions. <laughs> and and you love that. You love being asked questions. 
So if you have any questions, any specific questions about your situation, this topic or another topic, and you feel comfortable sharing it in the comments, please do. If you want to talk to Jay and work with him one-on-one, please send me an email. And in the subject line, just put the episode that you were referring to or whatever you want. I don't really care. I'll, I'll figure it out. And I also want to take a moment to give a shout out to our sponsor, which is me. And <laughs> remind people that if you enjoy the wonderful goodness of our podcast and this amazing perspectives and thoughts that Jay gave you today, we also have a book called Eyes Wide Open Volume 1. And the link to buy that is in the description And you got to tell them it's the world's first self-help coffee table book. You're taking my job away. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, it really is. And it expands on lots of the concepts and ideas that we talk about here on the podcast. And it's called volume one for a reason because it's the first one and there will be more. So do you have any final thoughts that you want to share with our amazing audience? I did, but I feel like this episode went on too long and what I just said was fire. So (laughs) I'm going to end it at that. Okay. All right. Great. Thank you. And that's why this podcast and our book are called Eyes Wide Open. Keep rising.